0: Originally the 68 team field of this year's National Collegiate or National Communists Against Athletes men's basketball tournament, and now have been pared down to 16. As we welcome you to this 331st episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris, Mike Jansen, Chris Fluke with you. A lot of things to get to. And we are going to start this edition of our little program with a look at where we stand. As again, I mentioned. The, six, the original 68-team field of the A men's basketball tournament has been pared down to 16. And uh, I got to start by giving props to the boss here at Unscripted. He actually had the cojones to uh, project that UCF, University of Central Florida, is not just a football power anymore, folks. They've got a hell of a basketball team led by former Duke All-American guard Johnny Dawkins. But UCF, in my opinion, should have won on Sunday against the Blue Devils. That uh, seven foot six guy in the middle for the, uh, is it the Golden Knights? Is it? Is that what it is for UCF? Is it the Golden Knights? That guy is amazing. And if somebody doesn't pick him up to play at the next level, they're really making a mistake. Unbelievable wingspan. When the guy is seven foot six and spreads his arms, he can go from baseline to baseline almost. He's that, he's just an extravagant. But, You know, we've been talking for years here on Unscripted about the UCF football program, but they got a pretty damn good basketball program that should have, realistically, they had two shots in the last two seconds to knock off the number one seeded team in the tournament and knock Zion Williamson and R.J. Barrett right out of the headlines. But Duke survives and they move on. And for the first time since enlarging the tournament to 68 teams, Of the four number one seeds, the four number two seeds, and the four number three seeds, they have all advanced to the Sweet 16. We have had no University of Maryland, Baltimore County beat Virginia yet this year. We should have had UCF beating Duke, but somehow Duke got around that, them little bastards. But uh, I'd be interested because, you know, Chris's knowledge of college basketball is getting better every day. But here's a guy that went against the norm, actually picked UCF, and I think UCF should have won the game. They didn't, but um, how else are you doing? I'd be interested to see, because I don't think anybody had UCF beating Duke. You did, and uh, it'd be interesting to see what else you've got on your little bracket.
1: Yeah, well, I was I was very proud of that, because I had UCF with the slight upset over VCU in the first round, and then, of course, Duke Waltzing through the first round, and I did have UCF as my big upset. Boy, would that look good! It was so close, it's close, literally inches away, as close as you can get, and that's a real shame. Uh, It was neat to see afterwards UCF in the locker room had a really emotional uh, thing and it was just really cool. I just love that school. I mean, you know, I I don't, I still don't fully get the whole, how college is such a bigger thing and bigger than professional sports in a lot of ways in the States, but I I really like this UCF school. I I just like so much about them and other than Blake Bortles, they're just a (laughs) a wonderful, wonderful place full of great people by the looks of it here. And uh, anyway, though, uh, this is interesting. And I don't know if you saw this. You haven't mentioned it, so maybe you didn't. Uh, so you know no one's ever had a perfect bracket. Never. Never. No. Nope. We now have for the... F- and no one's ever... Not only has no one ever had a perfect bracket, no one's ever gotten even this far really, perfect ever. Until now. Ooh, someone's made it through the first weekend. Someone out there, and they, they've tracked this guy down. He is a uh, 40-year-old like neuroscientist of some kind oh, so he's a virgin yeah, right. he's a brain <laughs> yeah' year old virgin <laughs> <laughs> he um he has picked he has gone forty eight for forty eight in the first forty eight games wow. I want you to guess what the odds are what are the odds of picking forty eight basketball games correctly in a row I have no idea I can't even fathom a guess I one in
0: one in one in five billion
1: i don't know one in two hundred and eighty one trillion oh my god so he's already he's already in uncharted territory. Now, part of this was like as you mentioned earlier, the first and second and third seeds were have done incredibly well, so that of course makes it more likely someone's going to have a perfect bracket. But uh still uh, you know, when we're talking about 1 in 281 trillion, you know, a, a couple things in your favor, you need a lot more than that. So he's 48 for 48, so obviously now he's the only guy who now actually has a shot really at getting all the rest of them right as well. So that would be interesting if we you could see the first thing, uh, the first time of this happening. Last year, we saw the first time a 16 beat a one. Maybe this year we get the first bracket. Who knows? I just hope this guy entered one of those things like Warren Buffett's thing where you get a billion dollars if you get it right. Like, I hope he's entered this bracket somewhere where he gets serious, serious money, because when you can do one in $281 trillion and potentially one in... A trillion, trillion or whatever it would be to get the whole bracket right. Uh, we'll never see that again as long as we live uh, with those kind of odds. So uh, I, I'm really interested in this whole perfect bracket thing.
0: I do have to make comment. Um, our Vancouver Bureau Chief, uh, Sean Dode, very talented young man and a huge Michigan State Spartan fan. This is not a shot at Michigan State. This is a shot at the organizers. And where I'm coming from in this regard is that, and this is probably byproduct of having eight teams from the Big Ten Conference in the big dance. But I found it kind of interesting, and I didn't really like it that on, well, it'd be in round two, obviously, we saw a Big Ten rematch already in in week two of the turn, or the second day of, well, Minnesota and Minnesota played Louisville, in the first round, Michigan played Bradley. Michigan State played Bradley. In Minnesota, they say, was an upset of Louisville, even though Louisville hadn't been the same since tricky Ricky Patino <laughs> got caught with the hookers and everything else down there in northern Kentucky. But I was disappointed, I have to admit. I wasn't real happy with the schedulers and the guys that put this bracket together. I can see later into the tournament when you have conference conferences playing against conference opponents, like when you get to the, the Elite Eight, You've seen it in the final four. I get that. But in the round, this would be the round of, well, after 64 minus 16, you're in the round of whatever. My math skills are terrible. 48. (laughs) You're in the round of 48, and you've got a Big Ten matchup between Minnesota and Michigan State. I find that a little bit disappointing. Um, You know, one thing about the tournament is seeing opponents that you haven't seen all year. And Minnesota and Michigan State played three times during the regular season and then they see each other for a fourth time in the NCAA tournament. I think they need to find a way to rectify that. You shouldn't see a conference opponent, I don't think, until at least the second weekend when you get to the Sweet 16. I don't think you should have two conference teams playing each other that early in the tournament. There's nothing special about that. Minnesota and Michigan State have played many times during the regular season. I don't think they should see each other in the post season until at least the second weekend
1: hmm interesting well in in single sports, like where it's a you know one person sport, this is seen as a real positive when you have real rivalry built up and you sure. and you have a you have a trilogy or something sure and and that goes but I guess it does it's not always the same when it comes to team sports now if every game was legendary, then it would. Like, I mean, if all these games had been triple overtime and it was this insanely evenly matched, exciting thing.
0: And not to interrupt, but if it's Michigan versus Michigan State, that's something different because that goes on what you're saying in regard to something special. That is something special with those two. But Michigan State and Minnesota during even the regular season isn't anything You know, they just just happen to play a lot, but they don't really have any special rivalry. That's what I'm trying to say.
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's just there's so many, as we we just said, I mean, there's just trillions and trillions of combinations of everything. And it's, uh, you know, no matter what, I think some people are going to be unhappy. We went over last week, all the different teams that felt like they were screwed. And I don't know if there was any malicious intent on any of it. It's just that there's so many permutations and combinations. It's just staggering. It's beyond our comprehension, honestly. And, you know, they're just doing their best. But I don't know. There's so many teams, too, that, like, when you have... NDS yeah. NDS slash NCC makes yeah. the the yeah. the NCAA March Madness tournament. What is that? North
0: Concordia College. I, I, mean, we I don't, don't know. know. Yeah, I, I
1: mean know. we it, we didn't know last year it was uh, University of Maryland Baltimore County until we looked it up, and they'd already beaten the number already one seed.
0: The Cavaliers of Virginia. Yeah.
1: yeah. So yeah, I mean, it, look, there's just the mathematics are overwhelming on this, and so I, I think they're doing their best, and yeah, ideally we'd have you know rivalries or. Exciting matchups or something going on, but th- it, honestly, it's just it's just neat to have the 64. Person the sixty four team tournament that's awesome and brackets have spilled out uh, to be part of popular culture. I think that having brackets is why the and with the March Madness. I think that's why the NHL went to a bracketable system a few years ago, whereas they used to just kind of reseed and everything, and Mm -hmm. and you didn't know who's going to play whom. And so now everyone's got the bracket. Now of course this time of year, March Madness. It's not just sports. If you go on Twitter or on the internet, everyone's doing okay. Let's do Uh, a 64-person bracket for who would win in a fight or which is the best stadium or which is the best show on Netflix and they have all these and you like they fill out the bracket and they do rankings like whatever and what's the best podcast and so then they they do it all
0: unscripted
1: I knew Mm. Mike was going to say that and uh, yeah and so they just they do all that and and brackets are a lot of fun and frankly growing up I always even I didn't even know what March Madness was I just loved uh, getting my friends over we'd have video game tournaments or something and I'd make big brackets and it's just having brackets is just fun right so it's a fun type of tournament tournament and uh, it's just become part of uh, popular culture now and we have march madness to thank for that
0: um also i wanted to make mention of this because we're talking about the nc2a basketball tournament as again we are broadcasting here on tuesday march the 26th on this date in 1979 so go back 40 years god that makes me old jesus that makes me old on this date in 1979 march 26th again, of 1979. I wasn't even born yet. I know. Magic Johnson and his Michigan State Spartans faced Larry Bird and his Indiana State Sycamores in the championship game of the two A tournament. In uh, I remember it was at the Huntsman Center in Salt Lake City, Utah. Ugh. There were only 32 teams in the tournament then. It, it, the reason I bring this up, because it's obviously Magic and Bird, but it is still, to this day, 40 years later, it is still the most watched college basketball game of all time. And Johnson Spartans beat Bird's Sycamores 75-64. to 64. And it's amazing to me that something can last 40 years and still be by the, what is it, the Nielsen ratings or whatever. It is the most watched college basketball game of all time. And it happened 40 years ago in Salt Lake City, Utah.
1: What's funny about that day to me is I was born on December 12th, 79, and I was actually born two weeks early. I was supposed to be born on Boxing Day, uh, December 26th, so nine months before that is that. So perhaps my parents were big college basketball <laughs> fans, and perhaps that day has even more significance in my life than Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. Just a thought.
0: Yeah, your dad Your dad was a big Spartan fan. <laughs> Come on, honey, we just won. Um, Listen, I would never say that to Chris's dad. I have the utmost respect for him. He's such a nice gentleman. He really is. But um, coincidence or not, Mm. you do the math. Um, But yeah, 40 years later, still
1: the most... uh, And? Yes, sir. You won't believe this. Our buddy, Greg. Yeah. Okay. Speaking of this same concept here. So uh, Greg has four older siblings. He's the youngest of five. Okay. Okay. His mom uh, was a nurse and actually uh was best friends and colleagues with my dad's sister who passed away of breast cancer in her 30s. Oh, so, so like when she'll really, no, okay. Yeah, it's like in 82 or 83 when I was really really little I barely remember. But anyway, so Greg's mom and my aunt were nurses and worked together and you know Greg's mom Was loved, this in Yorkton? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and Greg's mom loved kids and uh you know so she already had four. She um held she actually like when i was newborn uh, greg's mom held me and you know said i was so cute that she wanted another baby and nine months to the day later greg was born i'm not kidding really september 12 1980 yep wow nine months to the day so you're welcome greg
0: yeah absolutely no question if i would have
1: been an ugly kid you wouldn't be here <laughs> That is a great looking baby
0: <laughs> continuing on here <laughs> on unscripted
1: um, let's uh, shift focus to see great from the, on that one. Yeah,
0: from the paternity ward to the uh, National <laughs> Football League and uh, the big news, obviously. And we we talked in episode 330, and uh, Chris was kind enough to brief us about Conor McGregor. Well, there was another big announcement in regard to future plans for this icon's uh, sporting future. On Monday, tight end Rob Gronkowski announced his retirement after a nine-year run with the Patriots. There are four, there are four, um, still four tight ends. I don't know their names. I don't care. They aren't prevalent. But there are still four tight ends on the 53-man roster, supposedly for the New England Patriots. And those four guys have a combined 71 catches in their careers. Gronkowski has 71 postseason catches in his career and whether you like Gronk or not he was a difference maker but i i have a question for you if this is permanent and i still don't believe it is i believe halfway down the season next year and the and the uh, patriots let's say just for discussion purposes are 5 and 3 at the halfway point next year and all of a sudden tb12 is missing his former all-star tight end, and he places a call and says, Gronk, get your ass back here. I believe Gronkowski Gronkowski comes back. But let's say this is permanent. Let's say after nine years and everything he's done, and the five, or excuse me, four championships he won, he wasn't around for the first one when they beat the Rams in 2002. But um, is Gronkowski a Hall of Famer?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I and I don't necessarily want to say that, but you know, with multiple rings, he's got what three rings? I think like, he's
0: got four, but I I, I know I, I, three for sure. But
1: well, no, because they won. Th- no, because Brady has six, and three of them were three out of four in the in, oh, in the yeah, early yeah, days. Yeah, so he's got so, three. so it would only be three rings. He's got three. You're right. Yeah, yeah. So I think you have to. He in a way he redefined the position. He was almost like a Cam Neely in a way, in that he could really score and put up the points, but also in a powerful way. Correct. And uh, was really hard to stop like that. So, uh, you know, I've never really thought of that till right now. But to me, overall, he's basically Cam Neely. And again, he has lots of advantages, you know, playing with Brady and Belichick and all that. But, I I mean, he, he deserves a lot of credit on his own here. I'm going to assume that this is permanent. He was really looking broken down. It's hard to believe he's not even 30 yet. Because he was looking like he was, uh, he was looking 10 years older than he was on the field this year. So I can see why he'd retire. He's also convinced that he can just go and do, you know, movies, wrestling, whatever. By the way, Rob, as uh, other football players have found out, wrestling is way harder on your back than football. So have fun with that. Anyway, even though that would only be a one match thing, I'm sure. But anyway. Uh, I I think you have to put him in the hall anyone who's got three rings automatically has uh, some serious consideration for sure and when he was a real trailblazer and really kind of changed the way we looked at tight ends in a lot of ways especially for fantasy players for sure then it's hard to argue with. And he doesn't seem like a bad guy. Nope. He seems a bit goofy. I've been I've been really into Shark Tank lately, and I just watched the one where his brother, Chris Gronkowski, who actually follows Unscripted on Twitter. Oh, really? Yeah. I uh, love that. Yeah. Uh, Chris Gronkowski is... So, you know, there's actually five boys. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah there's yeah. five. And there's Chris and Rob and three other ones. And so uh, Chris was on Shark Tank pitching his really cool Shaker Cup thing. And uh so they and he had all the other four Gronk boys all came out and they're all like Arr! and it's just you can just picture like how did how did their parents raise those five oh five like football playing jock boys? Mm-hmm. I can't even imagine that. So anyway, but yeah, to answer I, I think you have to put him in the hall whether you like him or not.
0: I agree. Um I think he was a difference maker. And like Chris said, he redefined the tight end position. He also played injured. Um You know, he has avoided big trouble. Um, Yeah, he may not be everybody's cup of tea, but um, there are people in the National Football League, and I've said this forever and ever, that the National Football League is the ultimate copycat league. And there are 31 other teams. Well, now you can include the New England Patriots too. There are 32 teams now looking for the next Rob Gronkowski because of what he's done to that position. And I believe, love him or loathe him, I believe we will see him in Canton in five years, if this stays permanent. Um, I believe that he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame because he is one of the difference makers and one of the really, um, what's the word I'm looking for? But he is one of the uh, ultimate game-changing Playmakers in the National Football League. And I is think. It prototypical? Prototypical is a good word. Prototypical NFL tight end that has accomplished a hell of a lot. And yes, you're right. He had the advantage of catching passes from Tom Brady. And if he would have, remember last year that they were mentioning that, that there was a proposed trade worked out between the New England Patriots and the Detroit Lions. Mm-hmm. I believe if he had been traded to the Lions, he'd have retired last year. Mm-hmm. I don't think he was playing for the Detroit Lions. I think he is only going to play for. The Patriots oh, yeah. and Tom Brady. Oh, yeah. And that's why if there is a coming back, it'll be because of the insistence of Tom Brady. But I really do believe, like Chris, that I do believe that this is the end for Rob Gronkowski. And it will be interesting to see where we see him next. Um, I don't think these guys, and I think you're right, I don't think these guys can just automatically jump over and think that they can be wrestlers or UFC fighters or whatever. That they think. I mean, look how look how much trouble or struggle Greg Hardy has had in the UFC, and he looks like a nasty mother. You know what? So, um, I don't think automatically just because you're Rob Gronkowski that you can go over and and do your thing. I don't think. Let me just say this: without some training and without some help, I think what Rob Gronkowski ultimately would like to be would be the next white dude version of Dwayne the Rock Johnson.
1: Yeah, But he's going to need some, well, he's
0: going to need some, he's going to have to learn. He's going to have to do some training because I I believe, and I don't know, you would know this better than I because I don't have the, the wrestling background like you do, but I think he's going to have to change his training regimen. I mean, I don't think you train for football the same way you would train for wrestling. Am I right or wrong?
1: Uh, Well, that's true now. In fairness, I have seen Rob Gronkowski. He is very serious about his training. And well, I guess that. His, his I own mean, he team. looks like he's just ripped. Yeah, no, he's, he trains very hard, and I have n- yeah, nothing bad there to say. Anyway, I want to make this really clear. If we ever see Rob Gronkowski in the WWE, it would be for one match, period. It would be one match. One so ma- like, a, like a... Like uh, Lawrence uh, Taylor main well, event in no, WrestleMania. But like,
0: but like a WrestleMania where he comes out as part of the main event and as a guest yeah. referee or something like well, that. Well, yeah, and he
1: wouldn't even be like a... I don't think they'd he'd do like the one like you you well you were on the radio when Lawrence Taylor fought Bam Bam Bigelow yeah, main yeah. event WrestleMania Eleven, so yeah. in ninety five. Yeah. So uh but no it wouldn't even be that. It would be like, you know, the rock and uh Gronk again. So he would partner with somebody but be the second banana. In my opinion, simply yeah. because if you have a guy who I mean, Lawrence Taylor uh, you know, had, he really dedicated himself and and also Lawrence Taylor is one of the most naturally gifted athletes ever, probably. Like, I mean, or at least, or maybe... Yeah, but,
0: you know, at that time, he was, really had a drug problem too. Mm-hmm. And he was a huge cocaine user. And uh, so, you know, I still think to this day, the most significant defensive player in the history of the National Football League is still Lawrence Taylor. Oh, yeah. But there were... And this was documented uh, documented run-ins with the law over his cocaine use. So was he of all faculties when he was in there against Bam Bam Bigelow? Who knows?
1: Okay, but even if you look at just the physical side, if you watch that match, at the end of the match, and it's not even the longest match or anything like that or anything special by uh, uh, full-time professional wrestler standards, right? he can barely move like at the end and he admitted he's like I've never been that tired in my life like he could barely even like hook Bam Bam's leg to pin him at the end he uh his his team had to hold him up after the match he was completely done and Bam Bam Bigelow was 400 pounds and he was fine right you know because he's a he's a pro at this and so if and that's Lawrence Taylor now Rob Gronkowski and the reason it would be a, a tag team match in my opinion would be because unless you're really committed and they really want to promote you as like a Lawrence Taylor. And frankly, I don't think Gronk's as big a star as Lawrence Taylor. Uh, you're just going to be exposed. You need you need having uh, multiple people in the match to hide your weaknesses. You can come in, you have like a pre-planned spot you do to look good and then you tag out type thing and you can just get that shine as they say and you can look your best and they can hide your weaknesses. And to be honest, I don't think it would be the main event of a WrestleMania. It would be just a neat kind of attraction exhibition thing and that's it. I think Gronk, what he's, where he's really seen the appeal of his movies and like you say, being a white version of Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and has unbelievable personal charisma. Correct. Like, I mean, just completely out of off the charts. And so uh, Gronk does not have that. Gronk has more of a, a goofy thing, you know, and some people are going to see him as lovable and some are going to see him as douchey. Right, right. And, he, and he's, you know, he's got a nice big smile and I think he means well. And uh, some people will give him chances and people from Boston will support him and other people might resent him a bit because he is part of that Patriots dynasty. And either way, I, I don't think he realizes how much work this is going to have to be and how much natural talent you have to have i think a lot of athletes think they can just go read a few lines and that's all there is to it sure and i i think i don't see this happening i don't see gronk being successful in wrestling or movies at all he might have one wrestling match that where he they make him look good he might have one movie where it does well cameo or something yeah and he looks okay I mean, but even like, even if you look at Trainwreck with LeBron James, the Amy Schumer movie, like LeBron even looked really good. And I don't even see, uh, and I mean, who knows how much editing was in there and whatever, but I don't even see Gronk being as good as LeBron James on camera. So uh, I I think that uh, it's more of an uphill battle than uh, he expects. And I think he better have saved his money because I think his star is going to fade more rapidly than he realizes.
0: Before we get out of here on this uh, 331st episode of Unscripted, because episode uh, 332 I was going to be very heavily concentrated on news out of the National Football League and the National Hockey League, but I have one little NBA bit here that I want to get to before we put a a wrap on this 331st episode of our program. And this is about... I You know, sometimes I wonder what kind of brain capacity sports writers have. (laughs) And the reason I say that is because there was a story today in the Toronto star and I don't, Oh, Jesus Christ. Well, I get it. You know, it's, 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 you know, you use the Toronto star for your dog to crap in and your cat to crap in or whatever. Left
1: of Stalin. Correct. Okay.
0: But this was the story in the Toronto star and I'm just reporting the news. (laughs) The Toronto, ra- and I don't even know who the goddamn writer was, it doesn't matter. But he writes, and the headline of his story was Raptors are increasingly confident that they will be able to re sign all star forward Kawhi Leonard at the end of the year. Well, as Chris and I have said on numerous occasions on Unscripted with the two of us, that we both believe that this is going to be either the greatest success story of his career as the Vice President of Basketball Operations, I'm talking about Masai Ujiri, or it's going to get the Toronto Raptors laughed off the NBA market and right down to the lottery. Now, the Raptors have uh, developed some very good basketball players. Pascual Siakam this year has, in my belief, in my opinion, I believe he has to be a front runner for the most improved player in the NBA. Last year, he was on the bench, maybe getting 12 to 15 minutes a game. This year, he's over 30 minutes a game and scoring over 23 or 24 points a game for a team that is second overall record-wise in the NBA. So Pasquale Siakam has done some nice things. But if the Toronto Raptors do not re-sign Kawhi Leonard, then I think Masai Ujiri should be the first casualty this year of the Toronto Raptors. Because you trade a guy that actually wanted to be in Toronto in DeMar DeRozan. The all-time leading scorer of the Toronto Raptors is DeMar DeRozan. And we, and we've I don't really want to backtrack on this because we've said it ad nauseum. There were a lot of mistakes last year made on the Toronto Raptors basketball team for a team that won 59 games and got eliminated and swept out of the second round of the playoffs against LeBron James and the rest of those guys portraying to be the Cleveland Cavaliers of last year. But it was also Dwayne Casey that sat Dwayne or DeMar DeRozan in the fourth quarter of Game 3 when the Raptors had a chance to win. They pissed it away and that led to a Cleveland Cavaliers sweep. If the Toronto Raptors don't sign this guy and he escapes to Los Angeles. And if he's a free agent and escapes to either the Clippers or the Lakers or wherever he's going, the Raptors get zero compensation. And then you traded uh, DeMar DeRozan and that guy from Utah, Ricky, I don't know what the hell the rest of his name is, but he was a seven foot center who has has done very nice in the rotation down in San Antonio, a San Antonio team that's going to see the playoffs for the 22nd consecutive year when the playoffs in the NBA get started in about two weeks. My point here is this, though. What is this reporter supposed to report? Oh, well, you know, um, yeah, I know he works for the Toronto Star, which is like working for the day back for the Los Angeles Herald Examiner. And if you don't know the Los Angeles Herald Examiner, it's because it went out of business back in the mid-'80s because all it was being used for was kitty litter. Same thing with the Toronto Star. It's a piece of crap publication. But what is this guy supposed to say? Well, we don't have a chance. You know, Kawhi's on the next plane out of town as soon as the season's over. Um, I just really believe that if they don't get his name on an extension, then you need to take Masai Ujiri, kick him to the curb, Bobby Webster, the actual general manager of the Toronto Raptors, needs to be kicked to the curb, and Larry Tannenbaum, the head of the Maple Leaf uh, Sports and Entertainment Empire, (laughs) They need to have a sit-down with him about his hiring practices. Um, I don't think you make a trade of that magnitude without getting some guarantees that you're going to have a legitimate chance at keeping the guy that you traded all this stuff for. And really, when it, when you look at it this way, DeMar DeRozan, that center from Utah, and a draft pick for Danny Green, that's called a screw job, folks. So um, Toronto Star aside, if... They don't sign, re-sign Kawhi Leonard. I think that just is the start of major off-season changes for Canada's one and only professional basketball team.
1: Yeah, the red star, as I call it, even if we say that this story is correct even if it's totally accurate that the Toronto Raptors are, quote, increasingly confident that they will re-sign Kawhi Leonard, I'd still be unhappy with that because they shouldn't be increasingly confident. They should have had maximum confidence all along since the beginning because they traded DeMar DeRozan. And when they did that, they reminded me of, speaking of left wing, of some sort of random left wing politician who doesn't respect taxpayer dollars and doesn't care and just does whatever they want. If you trade someone like a DeMar DeRozan, you have to really have something long-term wonderful coming back so that you don't piss off your fan base and make it look like you take them for granted. And the fact that this guy, Masayu Jiri, hasn't inspired any sort of confidence related to this whatsoever means that I have no faith in him at all, and I don't think anyone should. And as I've said all along, if they do resign Kawhi Leonard... It will just be luck. Yeah, yeah. that's it. They were not confident all along, which if the story is accurate, is exactly what that actually says to me. And so there's no excuse for it because this was such a Hail Mary. This is a guy trying desperately to save his job. If they can somehow win the NBA championship this year, maybe then Kawhi wants to resign there. They, hey, you could maybe have a dynasty or something, you know, then, oh, maybe other people want to come there. Maybe... Uh, it makes it really hard to fire Masai Ujiri if you just win the NBA championship. So it was really just a Hail Mary to save his own job with no care for the fan base or or for the franchise's long-term stability and viability at all. And when you're the lone northern outpost, you have to be extra sensitive to that stuff and know that you have existential threats at all times because it's hard to make it go up there. You've still got the shit end of the exchange rate and everything else. And when it comes to Larry Tannenbaum, by the way, I saw him on TSN one time on Off the Record, long long time ago and his tie and his shirt were the most mismatched i've ever seen to the point that i will never trust anything this guy says ever again (laughs) it was that bad
0: (laughs) oh that's wonderful um we've got to run um could be a big year for toronto sports if the maple leafs but again who's going to beat the tampa bay lightning nobody already 122 points this year. They won their 59th, and they still have six games left. 60 wins. If they win the rest of their games, they will surpass the all-time one-season record of the Montreal Canadiens. I don't remember what year it was, but the record is 133 points in an NHL season. At 120, before last night's 59th win, um, they had to win their last seven games, meaning the Lightning, to collect 14 points to surpass that record. I don't know if you're going to do it at this point because you've got such a big lead and maybe you need to rest some guys, but my God, what a season for the Tampa Bay Lightning. And everybody in Calgary and everybody in Boston and everybody in Toronto can get all excited, but you're all playing for second place. I really believe that, and we're going to have more to talk about in the National Hockey League in uh, episode 332, so I won't spoil it there, but... Unbelievable year by the Tampa Bay Lightning. And again, Toronto can get all excited about having John Tavares, and they can get all excited about now have re-signed Matthews and there they've re-signed uh what's his name? Uh oh what's it was the kid's name right at right at the all-star break. Um Which, the, well there were four of them, remember? And Marner's coming up for a contract. Renewal. Oh yeah, and Nylander. Nylander's the one that I think will be gone. But potentially, you've got Matthews and Nylander and Tavares and um, And Marner Marner under contract. Yeah, they've got a lot of talent in Toronto, but they're all playing for second best because that team in in Tampa Bay has been unbelievable this year. And uh, it's a no-brainer. On uh, Tuesday morning, it became official, the Tampa Bay Lightning have given John Cooper a contract extension. Gee, me Chris and <laughs> Me Chris and Helen Keller could have figured that one out folks. We got to run on this 331st episode of Unscripted. As always, we thank you for joining us and hope that you continue to do so. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.